Philemon, one chapter is all it takes, and verse 4 is where we turn this morning. Philemon, just before the book of Hebrews, so toward the end of your New Testament, Philemon chapter 1 or verse 7 here. Paul's prayer, verses four th- verse 4 through 7, is where Paul is uttering a prayer, as usually Paul does. He Maybe there's one exception, Galatians. He doesn't have a prayer of thanksgiving about the Galatian church. He just gets right into the meat of the business. But mostly when he has his letters, he says, you know, I thank God for you. Whether it's the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus, um, Philippians, I mean, big time. He's thankful for the church in Philippi. But here he utters a thanksgiving for just this man, Philemon. Again, we don't know much about Philemon apart from what we read about him in this letter. And yet he is a a man. He is a Christian man who is so useful to the Lord. Even as we saw back in verse 2 or verse 1, Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, he was a useful fellow to Paul in his ministry, most likely, likely while he was in Ephesus and beyond. And so Paul, as he is, I mean, you know, this letter is written by Paul to Philemon to kind of as a, a, a greasing the skids, as it were, if you don't mind that analogy, of, of allowing this runaway slave Onesimus to come back into the household of Philemon and be reconciled to him and forgiven of his trust. I mean, running away, that's a criminal offense. He could be killed. Under Roman law, slaves had no rights, but the masters had all the rights, and he could, Philemon could have him killed. Or, well, he stole from us, so I, I should punish him, and he should be severely treated. And Paul says, Philemon, I know better about you. I know that you're a Christian man. I know that you are evidently carrying out the work of grace that is upon your your heart. You know what you've been forgiven of. You know what you've been delivered from. You know how guilty you stand before the Lord, and you have been delivered from there. So show that, show that same kindness to Onesimus. Paul is not here flattering Philemon, flattering him to get him to, you know, get him all buttered up and then he's going to have the big ask, you know. No, he's saying, I know this is active in your life, so I have full confidence that you'll do what's right. I don't need to put any pressure on you. I don't need to twist your arm. I don't need to say that, by the way, you owe me your own life and all that kind of thing. But I'm just saying that Christ is active in your life. And and so I know that you will do what is right. We'll see in these verses, maybe if you don't mind, but we see different aspects of Paul's prayer. We see in verse 4 the constancy of prayer. He's always praying for Philemon, or always including him in his prayers. We see the condition. What was it that, that provoked Paul to pray and give thanks in this way? We'll see the content. What does he pray for Philemon in verse 6? And then his confidence that, you know, I know that God's going to do this. I know that you're going to do this. I have a great confidence. I have great joy in knowing these things. Well, constancy, condition, content, and confidence in prayer, as Paul says here. Verse 4 of Philemon says, I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers. Here is the constancy of prayer. Here is this always ready. Paul, who is so much involved with ministry, so much involved with serving others, so much involved with the oppression, the persecution that comes along with that, whether from his own countrymen or now, of course, being in prison for you know, going on four or five years at this point, uh, first in Caesarea, of course, and then over winter um, travel to, to Rome and then two years in Rome. And so he, he knows what that is like. You say, oh, you have plenty of time to pray. And you, and you maybe, I don't know if you're there yet, but I know I've heard from a lot of people who are elderly and says, I just can't do anything for the Lord. I just can't. You know, I used to be able to do this and that and go here and there. Now all I can do is sit home and pray. And you think, 
All you can do is sit home and pray? Are you serious? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a tremendous opportunity? Let me tell you some things that you can pray about. For me, for this sister, that brother, this situation, this country, these missionaries, praying is such an important part. Paul had this uh, as a key element of his ministry, giving thanks and praying, always those two things together. Giving thanks, having this joyful response to the Lord, um, in fact, this, the, the root word of this, uh, this word of giving thanks in Greek relates to the verse, verse uh, 7. Uh, I have come to have much joy. Joy is that word uh, that's in this, this giving thanks word as well. To have, have a, 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 a gladness, a joy, a, a, a benefit that God provides to us. And so he says, I'm, just, I'm, I'm overjoyed and I'm, I'm giving thanks to God. Notice it says, I thank my God. Very rarely, in fact, I don't remember if there's any instance where we see the, it's not that we shouldn't do it, I'm not saying that, but any time that we see I give thanks to someone in a deity sense, you know, God, it is to God, and usually God the Father. I thank the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God here, as it says here. our thanks should go to God the Father, the one who orchestrates or, or plans the, you know, the a kind intention of his will that he accomplishes in our lives. Our, our praise and thanksgiving is directed to God the Father. It's not to say you can't thank the Spirit, you can't thank the Son, but usually, as Paul uses it anyway, the, the thanks is directed to him. Notice how he says, this is my God. I thought I served him as my God back when I was a rabbinic Jew. I thought that being a Pharisee, you know, I had a corner on God. I thought I had self-righteousness. Well, I did have self-righteousness. I had that in abundance. I thought I had him because I was a Benjamite, an Israelite, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, all these things. No, he's my God because Christ has brought me near through his blood. I don't have any relationship to God. I mean, I may have a covenantal thing, but apart from Christ, you know, covenantal through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's that special relationship, but doesn't mean that all Jews are saved. Do you remember how Jesus talked about some of his fellow Jews, his brother Jews? You are sons of perdition. You are whitewashed sepulchers. You are far from the kingdom. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth from the sons of Abraham. Only those who come to Christ Come to God the Father through Christ the Son can call God my God. Everybody's going to call him God, right? Every, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody knows that there's a God. Not everybody can say, my God. I give thanks to my God. Notice he says, I always do this. What is he doing? Is he always giving thanks? Is he always making mention of you in my prayers? Where does this word always appear? You think, isn't that kind of kind of tedious? Does it, does it really matter? Well, it's, it's interesting to think, does, does every time that, that Paul... Uh, anyway, is he always, 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 always giving thanks to God for Philemon? Is he always, when he, when he does give thanks, he mentions. Maybe, maybe you can say it, he always does this. Another way to understand it is, whenever I pray, whenever I give thanks, I talk about Philemon. And you think, what? Why are we just hearing about this man Philemon in this book? Why, I mean, why doesn't he have as much uh, airtime or something as uh, Timothy or Titus? And, okay, we can appreciate that and we can do that. Why doesn't he talk about Luke more? We don't have much information about Luke who wrote over a quarter of the New Testament. Why don't we have more information about him? We know he's a physician. We know he's a beloved physician. We know he traveled with Paul. He's with him now as he's in Rome in prison. But we don't know so much about these New Testament characters. But what we do know, especially about Philemon, that's good stuff. 
it is encouraging. And we say, wow, I wish I could be like Philemon. Okay, maybe we need to have some children born to us that we need to name Philemon. Philemon, I need to pray for him. This is a hard thing. And not just for himself, also for his wife and his son, probably Apphia, as we saw in verse 2, and Archippus, maybe parts of part of Philemon's household. Because slaves are part of the household, they were involved in this whole situation. And so Paul is active in praying for them and asking God, God, I know you're active in their lives, but this is, this is going to take a, a serious commitment from Philemon. I mean, he, in his Roman uh, heritage, I pray that he wouldn't do that. I pray that the grace, the, the, the love, the faith that is active in him would be active in this particular situation. And so he often makes mention of him in his prayers, especially as this, this event is going on, writing this letter to Philemon, Tychicus, and Onesimus, bring it back to him in Colossae. Verse 5 gives us the condition or the cause of the prayer. What is What brought Philemon to mind? I mean, he has so many people. Think about people back in Philippi, people in Ephesus, that you know, things are getting kind of out of hand over there. Uh, the people back in Crete that he just kind of bumped along when he, on his Roman, his uh, um, trip from Caesarea to Rome, he stopped at a couple places in Crete, but he says, wow, there's so many things we can do here with the gospel. And it's interesting how Titus chapter 1 and verse 5 says, I left you in Crete. So you would set in order the things that remain and appoint or establish elders in every city just as I directed you. What is this about? There is such ministry opportunity in Crete. Do you realize how long, I mean, pages of pages, scrolls filled of of notes and things, Paul is praying for this person and that person, this church, this situation, this missionary opportunity in Spain, wanting to go to Spain, he mentions in the Roman letter to the Romans. And so in the midst of all those things, he's making mention of Philemon. He has heard, here verse 5 says, I hear, I have heard, maybe through Remember Epaphras, the man who came from, probably the founding uh, evangelist, pastor of the church in Colossae, has come to Paul because there are issues. There are just doctrinal issues, and we've studied all about Colossians, the letter, issues about Christ, issues about um, works righteousness, issues about this mysterious kind of secret stuff that they're trying to get people to follow after. And so he has all this, but meanwhile, Epaphras mentions, hey, here's Philemon, and whoa, here's, here's Onesimus. How do we come across Onesimus here in Rome? Well, this runaway slave somehow uh, was was reconnected with Epaphras, who knew him perhaps from Colossae, and now he meets uh, Paul, and so this, and it comes to faith. We'll see that in the midst of this letter. And so all these things are in Paul's mind. He says, you know, I need to send him back. I need to send Onesimus back to Philemon. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Onesimus even to, to do this. He's He could very likely be put to death, and rightly so, because of his, his violation of Roman law at that point. And yet he was expecting Philemon to respond in a gracious way. Paul says, I hear of your love, whether through Epaphras or whether through Onesimus, I hear of your love and of the faith. Now, this verse, you may have it kind of put together a little bit differently. What, and I won't belabor the point when I see the time, but the, the way that we see this going on in this verse, verse 5, he mentions love and faith, and then he mentions the Lord Jesus and toward, all, toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And you think those are... They're inverted, right? Usually we think of love toward all the saints and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions love first, and then faith. Then he mentions Christ as the object of faith, and then all the saints as the object of love. What we have is a a chiasm, if you don't mind, an X, where the two thoughts are related in an an indirect fashion. Anyway, won't belabor the point, but he, he mentions love first, I think, because that's really what's going to be put to the test. Philemon... 
This is a great opportunity for you to love. This is a great opportunity to lay down your life, your rights, your privileges, what your, your uh, just desserts. Is. I, mean, I know that he's violated your trust. And notwithstanding the, the indecency, the, the wickedness of slavery and so forth, there were laws in place. And, and we've studied that. We studied slavery in relation to Colossians 4 a lot. But there were, there were laws in Rome, and Philemon could have executed Onesimus. And so Paul says, I know, I've heard about your love. I've heard about the way that you are so, uh, my definition of love is sacrificial service, selfless sacrificial service. You, you are so active, and, and not for yourself, it's for other people. And notice, by the way, how faith, love, it says here in verse 5, and faith, they're not love for myself, right? Isn't there a song that says the greatest love is learning to love yourself? No, that's not the greatest love. Greatest love, as Jesus said, is to love God. Right? Love God, not yourself. And, well, the second must be love yourself. No. Love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Your enemy, right? The, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, loving the enemy. You get, you get that? So love, okay. Love, we love God. You don't love yourself. You, you, lay, you think so much less of yourself and put other people forward. The object of love is not the self, it's the other person. In this verse, verse 5, also the object of faith is not myself, it's not Onesimus. Oh, so now he's a believer? Oh, that's a change. Let's see the proofs in the pudding kind of thing. No, your faith is in Jesus. You put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who's able to change the hearts. He's able to change Onesimus from a runaway slave, maybe whatever other characteristics could have been true of him prior to salvation. It's totally different. Put your love forward, loving other people, thinking the best of other people, and put your faith on display, trusting Jesus, both in a salvific sense for himself, but also that he is active in changing, reshaping the life of this man Onesimus. It's a tremendous reality, love and faith. And you think, well, isn't there another word that is usually associated with these two other words, love and faith and Hope, right? Philippians, or excuse me, First Corinthians thirteen talks about love and faith and hope and love, and these uh, these three things are the, are great. The greatest of these, of course, is love. There are only a few other places where that triad, faith, hope, and love, are mentioned, but faith and love are mentioned so many times in connection with each other. And normally, it is both a Godward perspective, faith, we trust God, and then we, because of our trust, because of our faith in God, then we love other people. We saw that as we're reading through First John. If we say we love God, then we ought to love our neighbor. We ought to love our brother. We ought to uh, minister you know, materially, materially even with other people. And so this love and this faith is not in yourself. It's not in your own experience or anything. It is the love that we express toward other people and the faith that we have in Christ. Just to close that loop a little bit about faith and hope, if you were to, to identify a distinction between faith and hope, you might think of it this way. Faith is maybe past, looking into the past for the expectation of something in the future. In other words, we put our faith in the person and work of God, person and work of Christ. What has he done? Who is he and what has he done? We put our faith in that. It's a settled reality, what Christ has done. Our faith rests on that, our hope looks forward. Faith looks 
the past, hope looks forward. And so we, and they're connected. Hebrews uh, 11 uses both terms in that same sentence about defining or, or representing what faith or faithfulness is, and there's a hope and all this confidence and things. But if you were to overly simplify it, perhaps faith is looking past, hope is looking forward. But he says here, I hear of your love and of the faith. Your faith is directed to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is rightly so. You trust in the Lord for yourself, for your family. That's the basis of your ministry. That's your your armament as you go forth and, and minister You know, in the, in the warfare that's going on. You minister Jesus Christ. You represent him. You speak him. You put him forward. And you show love, here it says, toward all the saints. Love toward all the saints. You don't, don't get to pick and choose. Just like you don't get to pick and choose who's in your family. Oh, I'm related to this person. Praise the Lord. It's good. And now in the church... We don't get to pick and choose who God brings into the con- the local body, the local congregation. Really, I can't stand that person, but now he's in Christ, and so I can... I mean, isn't this Ananias and Saul of Tarsus? God, don't you know that this guy Saul has come to Damascus with letters to imprison the Christians, the believers? And how does Ananias address Saul when he gets there? Brother Saul. Wow. I mean, that's the change that, that Jesus brings. That's the, the adoption. That's the bringing in of, of people who are just not good people. But in Christ, they have been transformed. It's, it's new life. They're not the same person. Saul of Tarsus is you know, physically the same person, but he has a new heart. He has a new understanding of who Christ is. And so Philemon ought to have that same attitude. Christ is able to change people. Christ is able to minister his grace and kindness even to, on, to Onesimus. This is the recipient. These are the recipients of Philemon's love. And so Paul, based on that condition, this, this reality, I've heard these good reports about you. I know of your faith. I know of your love. And so I have full expectation that you do what is right. In the meanwhile, though, I pray. Verse 6, he says, I pray. This is the content of his prayer. Remember, he said, I, I give thanks always, making mention of you in my prayers. Here's what he's praying for Paul, or for Philemon, rather. And he is very careful to express the... The, the, the key issue. So a lot of times in our prayers, we, we kind of get to the periphery. We kind of pray for this, that, and the other thing. That, but we need to be careful to steward our prayers carefully. When we're going before the Lord, the God of the universe, it's not like he is anxious to be done with the prayer. Anxious, you know, are, are you done yet kind of thing? Hang up the phone. No, he is so patient to listen to us. But a lot of times we don't have the need, the desire of our heart because we don't ask about that concerning that, that special thing. Paul says, I am praying for this specifically. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. It's kind of a weird way to say, I pray the fellowship of your faith may become effective. There are many things that could be said. I'll just cut to the chase here for sake of time. I think he's saying you, you have been so kind, so generous to the saints. We'll see that in verse, verse uh, 7. So I pray that that fellowship of your faith, not that people will share your faith or share that thing, but because, because your faith is so active in showing generosity toward other people, the fellowship, the sharing of other people. If we were to take the time, we could go back and look at some other examples of this in Acts where there, there's a real fellowship going on, not just talk and, and social you know, conversation, but a real sharing of needs and a sharing of of. Uh, material possessions uh, sharing like in um, there's an Acts, but also in Philippians chapter 1 verse 5 is another key aspect of this and it's also mentioned in Philippians 4 the fellowship 
because of your fellowship, the Philippian church for Paul, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, Philippians 4 says, you, you've sent me a gift, a, a financial gift, not just once or twice, but many times, so many times. And he is so thankful for that fellowship, that generosity, that generous spirit of meeting practical needs. And so he says, I pray for Philemon, I pray the fellowship, the sharing, the generosity, the generous heart of your faith or produced by your faith because you love God, because you love what Christ is doing in your life and want to share that with other people. You have a fellowship. You are so uh, generous. And so he says, I pray that that aspect, that experience that Philemon has already had, I pray that that generosity, that generous spirit would, here it says, may become effective or would continue to work. This word effective is the word um, work or energy or, or uh, here effective or, or demonstrably proven in reality. He says, I want what you've done in the past to be shown now in this new situation against Onesimus. Remember Onesimus? He ran away from you. He stole something from you. But I'm praying that your generous spirit, your fellowship because of your faith would become effective through, here, verse uh, 6, through the full knowledge, through the full knowledge. And we saw that we saw that verse, or that word, rather, many times in Colossians and other places, Paul uses it. There is a word uh, that just means knowledge, just means knowing certain things. And then we have this word, as here it's translated, full knowledge, puts a little prefix on the, on the front that, that kind of intensifies the whole thing, makes, makes not just knowledge like, like book learning. Uh, you can read all those books in the back, but if you don't have full knowledge, the experiential knowledge, if you, don't, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, full knowledge, then that's it, right? We want to be careful not to avoid, or to avoid that. We want to know what God wants me to do and then to do it. So we want the full knowledge, the full experience. I know that you know, Paul says, I know what you, Philemon, know to be true and right and good. I know that you know what it means to be a Christian man. But I'm praying that you would have the full knowledge, the full experience of it right now in every good thing, full knowledge of every good thing, which is in you or in us. There's some uh, a variant in the text and the manuscripts that would either have you or us. Uh, either way it works, Christians need, we have every good thing in us. We have every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ is granted to us what are we what are we complaining about we think ah oh, we're we're not if we only had that tool or that thing if we just had this word of of god on this topic we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in christ um second peter talks about we have the 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 knowledge uh how does it go Everything pertaining to life and godliness is granted to us in the knowledge of his son and we think well i wish we had some a little bit more you have what you need. Go out and do what you know. You have enough truth to be culpable for now and enough truth to go out and change the world if we're faithful. Changing the world in a relative sense. I mean, we know that the world is getting worse and worse, as the, the uh, idiom might say. But we have this full knowledge of every good thing. God has given to us every spiritual blessing. And by the way, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're new creatures. We're different. We don't have to obey the old rules, the old lusts, the old uh, things that we, we organized our life around. We're new. We're in Christ, and now we can manifest that thing. He says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith would become, how does he say it, become effective in or through the full knowledge of every good thing. 
Philemon, I, you have everything you need to be a Christian man right now. I know you've done in the past, but now this is a new, new test, a new situation. Philemon, I'm praying and hoping and confident that you will pass this test. These things are in you for the sake of Christ. This isn't just about you. It's not for your own comfort, your own satisfaction. Uh, sure, uh, Onesimus was a minister to your need. Uh, I don't know what his household tasks were and, and all this kind of thing. Is Philemon going to receive Onesimus back into the household? Is he going to send him to the execution block? Is he going to re- restore him to work? Is he going to make his, his duty even more severe? I don't know. But for the sake of Christ... Philemon is called upon to rise up and let that love and faith be active, effective, energetic in this new situation. His confidence here in verse 7, Paul has great confidence. (coughs) For I have come to have much joy and comfort, encouragement in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Paul speaks directly to this man, Philemon, and says, you know, Every time I think of you, I just am joyful, I am uh, comforted, I'm encouraged in this. Wouldn't you like to think about that in other people that you know? Maybe from your youth that, that proclaimed Christ and walked with Christ for a while, but then, boy, when Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, I have seen that. And my friends, my family, they, had, they were on fire and then not. And what happened? But Paul, when he thinks of Philemon, gladness, joy, so much rejoicing in what Philemon has become, so much uh, uh, cause for uh, reveling and rejoicing in, in God's actions through this man, Philemon, that we see Paul just saying, I'm, I'm thanking God, I'm praying for you, but, you know, I'm just so thankful. I am so confident in your love. Not just Philemon loving Paul. I mean, good grief. Who wouldn't love the Apostle Paul? Well, many people wouldn't, but but Philemon did. But he's not talking about that, just the love for all the saints. I know that you are so active in these things, sharing the the truth of God's word. And so I am am so confident that you will do what is right in this situation because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. This idea of joy and refreshment here. is is something that we have we see maybe in another place. This is kind of a weird place to find this, but in Esther chapter nine, the, this, these ideas of resting and gladness put together. Of course, Esther is all about the destruction that Haman planned against the Jewish people and the, the near annihilation of the whole Jewish people, which is impossible. It's never going to happen, but doesn't stop Satan and his minions, if you don't mind my relative pop culture analogy, uh, to attempt to destroy. Israel, and so they tried to do that in that age, back in the uh, you know the, the Persian period. And Esther chapter nine, after that conflict, and after the Jews were able to rise up against their enemies, they uh, on the fourteenth day, this is Esther nine verse seventeen and eighteen, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Here we have this this word refresh being translated rest, and this gladness that is going on. It's repeated, the same idea in verse uh, 18, resting and gladness. And so this is the idea here. We see Philemon has provided rest and refreshment and gladness and, and peace to many, so many people. He has been an agent of God's refreshment, times of, of uh, grace and, and relieving of toil. And you think, wait a minute, isn't slavery all about toil and, and, and enslavement? And, and yet, yes. But working in Philemon's house is not a burdensome thing. 
he brought so much refreshment to the saints now. And Onesimus was not a saint when he ran away, right? But now he is a saint. And Paul will, will build on that idea. Don't receive him back just as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. Refresh him. Show that same kindness to him. Bring a time of rest and, and relaxation to him. In his labor, doesn't mean he's not going to be working and doing his fair share. Of course, even, as Paul says later in this letter, I would have kept Onesimus with me so he may minister or serve me in my need. But I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do anything without your approval, Philemon. I'm sending him back to you, my own heart, which is, by the way, translated here, heart, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Paul says, I'm sending you back my very heart. It's not the usual term for heart. The, we, we, you know about cardiologists, cardia is the word in, in Greek for heart. This is a different word. Actually, it talks about not the heart the, the, or the, the pumping heart, but also the non-physical aspect of ourselves, soul, mind, spirit, other analogies or um, synonyms for, uh, for, for heart. This is affections. This is the, the uh, translated in Colossians 3 about the bowels of mercy. We show compassion to one another. You have been so gracious to meet the, the raw, if you don't mind, the raw emotional needs of other people. You have been there and thick and thin with people who have had difficulty in your life. You've been so gracious to love other people. And so I rest. I, I have come to have much joy not just a little, much, lots of joy and comfort, knowing that what you have done in the past, you will continue to do. The, saint, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Philemon recognized he had a great stewardship. Philemon's probably a wealthy man. Church is meeting in his house. He had to have a bigger house to, to accommodate all the people. He had slaves. I mean, he was a man of means, as we would say. And he used that not for his own comfort or his own convenience, but to serve and bring times of refreshment to other people. Rest, physical rest. It's, this is the word is used to describe um, the disciples when they were sleeping, taking their rest back in the Garden of Gethsemane, but also when Jesus says, Come to me and find rest for your weariness and your burdens. Philemon was one who was so kind to uh, bring that uh, refreshment to the saints. And he says, He addresses him as brother again. He just says, Hey, you're my brother, you're my co-worker, you're my, my trusted uh, uh, man over in Colossae. I know this is going to be a hard situation for you, but I'm trusting that God will be active in your life. This isn't just for Philemon 2,000 years ago. This is for us. How is the gospel changing our lives? How is it taking over our lives? How is it changing the sense of entitlement or uh, the rights that we think we have, you know, I'm this or I'm that or I deserve more, you're a slave. You're a slave of Christ. Don't ever get beyond that reality that you have come not to be served, right? Jesus, 10, Mark 10, 45, I did not come, son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you have a servant mindset? Do you have a ministry mindset? Do you, do you have a motivation to use whatever material blessings, whatever, whatever, you are a steward of to serve and advance other people. Bring them comfort, refreshment. It's not about you. It's about other people. What can you do to serve other people and to bring joy and gladness? I mean, we can think of folks like Demas, Demas, that when, I mean, back in, in Colossians 4, it was a good thing. You know, Demas, is, he says hi too, and he mentions him here in uh, Jude, verse 24, Demas. But by the time we get to 2 Timothy, Demas has abandoned me. He's gone after the world. He's, he's, he's loved the, the stuff the world offers more than Christ. We don't want to be like that. We want to use the grace given to us to serve other people. 
Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your work in our lives. We thank you for the work in Philemon's life so many years ago. We're grateful that you don't just give us, salva- give us a salvation for the future day, something that, you know, when we die, we'll be in heaven and all that, forgiveness of sins and glorified body and all that, but something that changes our lives right now. Not that they were not looking forward to heaven and eternity, but we know that your grace is sufficient for a changed life right now. Please help us to have victory over sin, temptation, uh, the, the uh, condemnation that comes even from a, a guilty conscience. Help us to be pure. Help us to be useful vessels in your service. Always saying our faith in Christ to change us means we trust Christ to change other people. And that can be difficult sometimes. We, we don't pray often for folks that are so animated against the gospel, against God, against Christ. You are able to change their hearts. You're able to bring them to repentance and confession and a, a justification and sanctification. We are grateful that you are a God who is active in, in our lives. You're not absent. You're not far apart from us. You're so active. In, in our lives right now, and so we trust you. Please help us to show that love then toward other people, showing compassion, bringing times of refreshing, using what you have entrusted to us to serve other people. Again, we pray that you save and sanctify us for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.